<laughs> I do love that we're also doing Anne of Green Gables today. Yeah. Because you have the token Canadian. <laughs> I have the token Canadian. <laughs> Definitely on purpose. Definitely <laughs> not because you were the only person available at short notice. <laughs> Shh, we don't need to tell anybody that. We just need to say, and we have the token Canadian here. We do. And I'll say A Canadian. a lot and it'll be great. Welcome to Something Queer is Happening Here, where we discuss queer subtext in literature and media. Because why bury your gaze when you can dig them up? Hey, and this is Cass. Hello. Um, yes, I didn't I'm prep not an true. introduction for you because Drew <laughs> was supposed to introduce you, but Drew is not feeling well today. Everyone, send your well wishes mm -hmm. to Drew. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Cass is a wonderful member of the NOS team. She is our uh, executive assistant. Uh, she mm -hmm. also plays a role in our upcoming Moreland PI. Oh, yes exciting yes <laughs> and uh does a lot of our transcripts so uh she mm -hmm. is just a an amazing useful kind person um <laughs> and our token canadian for this episode because we are discussing out of green gables mm -hmm. <laughs> this is very fun did i tell you um oh, i don't think i have but i haven't actually seen anne with an e yet um, but mm -hmm. I have seen the Anne of Green Gables musical while I was on a family vacation to Prince Edward Island when I was a wee tot. I nice. I was probably like eight, so probably not that wee, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend Anne with an E. It's not necessary for this episode, though, because we are going to talk about the book. We'll have mm -hmm. separate episodes talking about characters on the show. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so we've decided with Drew that we should probably um, ask questions to guests when they come on we're still figuring out how we're structuring this podcast so Cass um tell me about your favorite um queer subtext character and ship oh well I'm gonna be having a full episode on my favorite queer ship yeah um, yeah so maybe so just like stay tuned them. listeners <laughs> um yeah, no, it's the uh, subtext of the Leverage OT3, consisting of Parker, Henderson, and Elliot. And I will talk at great lengths about how much I love all these folks and uh, why <laughs> <laughs> later on. Um, yeah, uh, besides that, just general queer... I'm also going to steal from Leverage because it's been on my brain a lot lately, and I'm sure there's other... If I stop and think about it, but... Um, uh, Sophie Devereaux is by for sure from Leverage mm. and you can't agree with me because you've never seen the show but yeah. she is <laughs> vibes alone she's by yeah this is the first time your your episode on Leverage is going to be the first time I go in completely blind well I've seen the pilot but that's pretty much it <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully by the end I will have convinced you to watch yeah it that's that's the goal the um but for mm -hmm. this one uh, we are talking about Anne of Green Gables, and I'm going to make the case about why Anne and Diana are in love. <gasps> yes! So, uh, first of all, a little summary for anyone who hasn't read the book or doesn't know about it. So, it's the turn of the 19th century, and two elderly siblings, Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert, decide to adopt an orphan boy to help Matthew on the farm. 
To their surprise, it isn't a boy that they find waiting at the train station, but a very talkative girl with red hair and a wild imagination. Anne, with an E, convinces the Cuthberts to keep her and soon becomes an essential part of the family and the town of Avonlea. The book follows Anne from 11 to about 17 years old. And in Avonlea, she meets Diana Barry, who becomes her best friend, Gilbert Blythe, her academic rival, and many other colorful characters. Uh, Gilbert, by the way, who is who I named my cat for. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay, so now let's get on to my argument. Yes. First argument, I'm, I'm following a similar structure to my episode on Dracula. So we're going to start with the text. I'm going to read some extracts yes. that just speak for themselves. So first mm-hmm. extract. Well, did you find Diana a kindred spirit? asked Marilla as they went up through the Garden of Green Gables. Oh yes, sighed Anne, blissfully unconscious of any sarcasm on Marilla's part. Oh Marilla, I'm the happiest girl on Prince Edward Island this very moment. I assure you I'll say my prayers with the right goodwill tonight. Diana and I are going to build a playhouse in Mr. William Bell's Birch Grove tomorrow. Can I have those broken pieces of china that are out in the woodshed? Diana's birthday is in February, and mine is in March. Don't you think that's a very strange coincidence? Diana is going to lend me a book to read. She says it's perfectly splendid and tremendously exciting. She's going to show me a place back in the woods where rice lilies grow. Don't you think Diana has very soulful eyes? I wish I had soulful eyes. (laughs) (laughs) I love just all of the rambling about Diana. I can just imagine oh, yes. Marilla's Anna's... face in that moment. <laughs> I don't want to unpack all this. I don't want just to like, unpack all this. Oh no, that shall gay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so this is just after they first met. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, this is uh, this is <laughs> later. As much as she hated Gilbert, however, did she love Diana with all the love of her passionate little heart equally intense in its likes and dislikes. One evening, Marilla, coming in from the orchard with a basket of apples, found Anne sitting along by the east window in the twilight, crying bitterly. Whatever is the matter now, Anne, she asked. It's about Diana, sobs Anne luxuriously. I love Diana so, Marilla. I cannot ever live without her. But I know very well when we grow up that Diana will get married and go away and leave me. And oh, what shall I do? I hate her husband. I just hate him furiously. I've been imagining it all out, the wedding and everything. (laughs) Diana dressed in snowy garments with a veil and looking as beautiful and regal as a queen. And me, the bridesmaid, with a lovely dress too and puffed sleeves, but with a breaking heart hid beneath my smiling face. And then bidding Diana goodbye. Here Anne broke entirely and swept with increasing bitterness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, poor Anne. (laughs) hasn't even happened yet they're like yeah, what, I think they're about 12 and she's like but one day <laughs> one day she's gonna get married <laughs> oh. 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 Poor dear. yeah <laughs> completely normal you know just not gay things mm-hmm. just crying when you know that just completely straight yeah. things your your best friend is going to get married to somebody that she'll hopefully love dearly <laughs> and you're sobbing over it because, of course, she's going to find a handsome husband who's going to love her furiously. Just look Yeah, at her. of course. She's beautiful. I'm going to be alone forever. <laughs> I mean, Anne. Anne, sweetheart. Anne, baby. You are um, you're being very mean to your 
<laughs> potential suitor. So Okay. Um oh, this one is great because it reminds me, I'll talk about it after, but it reminds me of the plot of a canonically queer book. Um so it's Anne talking to Diana. I was thinking the loveliest story about you and me, Diana. I thought you were desperately ill with smallpox and everybody deserted you, but I went boldly to your bedside and nursed you back to life. And then I took the smallpox and died, and I was buried under those poplar trees in the graveyard, and you planted a rosebush by my grave and watered it with your tears, and you never, never forgot the friend of your youth who sacrificed her life for you. So, <laughs> so I read this book recently. It's called Devotion by Hannah Kent. Uh, and it's that mm-hmm. plot, and it's gay. <laughs> so, yeah, that would be. Now I'm wondering. I'm I wondering love... if she like took that from Cables. <laughs> I I do love that. I mean, it's a reoccurring theme in the book, anyways, of just Anne having these wild fantasies in her head about all the wonderful things that could happen, and it's just. It's so lovely that so much of these are about Diana of like, oh, we shall be best friends forever until she gets married and then we'll part with dreadful like (laughs) tears. And then like, I'll sacrifice my life for you (laughs) and you'll cry so ever so much when we're parted and you'll never forget me and I'll always live on in that way. (laughs) She's a mood. Anne is a mood. Oh, she is. So is. (laughs) We've got a pretty long one here. Um, This is after... Anne accidentally gets Diana drunk and Diana's mother <laughs> like tells her that they can't hang out anymore. Uh, so this oh. is their parting. <laughs> it's very dramatic. <laughs> I have to put on the right, the right intonation, the right voice for it. Yes. Oh, Diana, will you promise faithfully never to forget me, the friend of your youth, no matter what dearer friends may caress thee? Indeed I will, sobbed Diana. And I'll never have another bosom friend. I don't want to have. I couldn't love anybody as I love you. Oh, Diana, cried Anne, clasping her hands. Do you love me? Why, of course I do. Didn't you know that? (laughs) No, Anne drew a long breath. I thought you liked me, of course, but I never hoped you loved me. Why, Diana, I didn't think anybody could love me. Nobody has ever loved me since I can remember. Oh, this is wonderful. It's a ray of light which will shine forever on the darkness of a path severed from thee, Diana. Oh, just say it once again. I love you devotedly, Anne, says Diana stanchly. And I will, and I always will. You may be sure of that. And I will always love thee, Diana, said Anne, solemnly extending her hand. In the years to come, thy memory will shine like a star over my lonely life. As that last story we read together says, Diana, wilt thou give me a lock of thy jet-like tresses and parting to treasure forevermore? <laughs> You're so fucking dramatic. I know. Oh my goodness. But like, again, you're 12. It's your best friend. Yeah. It's the first friend you've ever had. And like, you're feeling all these very strong feelings. And it's like, it Definitely, must be friendship like, for sure. Friendship. It, it must friends be friendship. Just giving each other lots it's of definitely... hair, like friends do. <laughs> <laughs> there's like the log of hair oh, thing man. as well. Like there's this entire plot line in Sense and Sensibility oh, yes. where like there's misunderstandings about like mm-hmm. this guy has a lock of hair from a girl, and they're trying to figure out like who it is because that means that they're like basically engaged. 
<laughs> so yeah, Anne and Diana are basically mm-hmm. engaged. Yeah, basically. And then uh, the last one, uh, just to show that this doesn't stop when they grow up. Uh, this is when they're about 17. Okay. <laughs> Uh, and um, Anne has been off to university to do a diploma, and Diana has stayed in Avonlea. I thought you liked that Salem men are better than me, said Diana reproachfully. Josie Pye told me you did. Josie said you were infatuated with her. Anne laughed and pelted Diana with the faded June lilies of her bouquet. Stella Maynard is the dearest girl in the world, except one, and you are that one, Diana. I love you more than ever, and have so many things to tell you. But just now, I feel like if it were joy enough to sit here and look at you. <gasps> so Diana is jealous. Yeah. For one. She's jealous that, that Anne is, quote unquote, infatuated with another girl. Mm-hmm. And Anne is like, don't you even worry. I just I just need to look at you and I everything. Could, everything is fine. I could spend all this time talking with you, but also I just want to stare at you. <laughs> a little bit oh that's very straight things yeah very straight definitely not at all terribly romantic whatsoever (laughs) so this is the text um and point number two is that the scholars say so so for a little bit of a story the academic laura robinson gained both recognition and backlash for her article called Bosom Friends, Lesbian Desire in Ellen Montgomery's Anne Books, published in 2004 in Canadian Literature. Mm. In it, she analyzes Anne's relationships with several of the women in her life, particularly Diana. To Robinson, Anne's language when it comes to Diana is the sensuous language of courtship and establishes her as a suitor, not just a friend. Mm-hmm. Now, responses to Robinson's work were varied. Many academics, journalists, and readers had a strong negative reaction to her theories. One National Post journalist sarcastically writes, Oh, I know, she married Gilbert Blythe, and they had seven children, but at university, you learn to look more deeply. While another considers Robinson's claim to be all conjecture. A particularly passionate reader of the Edmonton Journal considered the article showed exactly how horrible others could think of the world at times, and insisted, Anne Shirley is one of the many characters that Montgomery fills with love, although she experienced little during her life. What right have we to turn this love into something bad and scornful? So some of these reactions are clearly, they, they clearly come from conservative reactionary beliefs that homosexuality isn't inherently evil thing yeah Uh, but other negative reactions are based on the idea that Anne's attraction to women would invalidate her relationship with Gilbert which is a relationship that many readers are really attached to Mm. Um, as Robinson remarks Anne's inevitable marriage may also yield a reading that is less empowering for the heroine if readers do not assume that she is heterosexual okay but But. they're all forgetting bisexuality and pansexuality exists the suggestion that Anne might have been attracted to women doesn't mm. deny her attraction to Gilbert or any other men. Yeah. They can all coexist as part of the same theory. Yes. Um, so yeah, that's that's the background on the the whole the bosom friends affair. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So going back to the musical that I've seen, there's two songs that stick in my brain from that soundtrack. One of them is "How Great Ice Cream Is." Um, and <laughs> the second one is 
Anne and Diane, Diana have a duet singing about how they're kindred spirits and just meant to be in a relationship together oh and my forever God. kindred spirit. I'll insert a snippet from that in editing yes. because that sounds amazing. <laughs> it's so good but yeah no it's definitely like my brain is too caught up on thoughts and it's all like jumbling together into (laughs) spaghetti here um but yeah no you make a lot of it I mean it's been a little bit since I actually read the book um Mm. but like the things you pull from the text and like say it just it just makes so much sense like she's using a lot of like traditionally romantic language and like why would it not be for a romance and like of course she'd be by because Gilbert and Anne have this wonderful like enemies to lovers dynamic that happens <laughs> um yeah but then like Anne and Diana are like those two people that like meet and click instantly and it's like okay mm. you're my person now yeah they're um, soulmates and, like, even as, like, Anne grows up and moves away from, oh, spoilers for Anne series, <laughs> moves away from Avonlea and that sort of thing, like, it's still such a fundamental relationship. And, like, Diana being the first person who's ever said, Anne, I'm in love with you, or I love you, it's just... <laughs> it tells you how obvious it is. Yeah. <laughs> and it's clearly impactful on Anne. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and um and and just isn't she she's not very interested in boys mm-hmm. like ever. She has this idea of like the perfect romantic lead mm-hmm. and like throughout Anne of the Island she, she gets proposed to like three or four times. Yeah. <laughs> and she keeps <laughs> rejecting people including Gilbert at first. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's because she has this like idea of the perfect man and then she meets the perfect man and then she's like, "Wait. He's just kind of empty." Um, but she doesn't have that problem with women. She keeps like having these very strong reactions to meeting certain women immediately and then clicking with them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it reminds me as well that one of the things that I mean in early in Anne of Green Gables, especially one of the things that really bothers her is her red hair and being a ginger. Um, and she like really idolizes dark raven locks, and it's sort of that element of like, um do I like this because I want to have it or because I want to have somebody in my life with those features because Diana mm. has very dark hair. Do I want to be her or do I want to be with her? Yeah. Exactly. And Diana meets those requirements. <laughs> she really does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So had you heard about the theory yet? I hadn't. No. Um, but it makes so much sense. yeah it really does um okay so then i just have a third point which is that it's not just the scholars um one of the adaptations of the text i studied in my thesis is the modern web series project green gables in it Anne is a black girl and comes out as queer partway through season one admitting to having feelings for diana The creators of the series released a whole video talking about the choice to make Anne openly queer in their adaptation, and I got to interview them recently for my research. 
Mm. When I asked, they said that they were completely unaware of the scholarship behind Anna and Diana's relationship. They came to that conclusion independently, which goes to show. Yeah. So one of the creators, Yannicka <laughs> Vickman, was new to the text when she and her friend, Laura Eklund Enaga, a longtime Anne of Green Gables reader, decided to adapt it. Partway into reading it for the first time, she messaged Laura to ask if they were just going to ignore the fact that Anne is in love with Diana. As a self-identified queer woman, Yannicka recognized a lot of her own experiences in Anne's relationship with her best friends. She -hmm. said, it resonated with me, you know, as a non-straight girl who has a tendency to crush on girls I don't have a chance with, and that has to count for something, doesn't it? Mm. Laura also thought that Anne might be demi-romantic or demisexual, which helped her come to terms with her own sexuality. So Mm -hmm. it says a lot about the strength of the subtext in the novel that both literary scholars and everyday readers are seeing it and identifying it as a representation of queer experience. So, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, it it makes a lot of sense when you look at it. And clearly, if independent sources are coming up and being like, I think that they're queer, like, there is a lot of like evidence to support that. And I had a thing that I was going to say, nope. Um, <laughs> there's just a lot of evidence to support that if like all these different people are coming to the same conclusion. Yeah, I find it interesting that Anne with an E, with the amount of queer representation they have, didn't go that route at all. But I'm not mad at it because they have so much other queer representation. Mm. Also because they developed Anne and Gilbert's relationship a a lot quicker than they did um, in the the novels where it took until book three. (laughs) This is quite the slow burn from a carrot, swoosh. To that's the sound of a slate breaking over somebody's head. Swoosh. Beautiful. We don't even need we don't even need SFX. We we just need cast. Give me 30 minutes alone with a microphone, I'll make it work. <laughs> but yeah, if they wanted to have like that be a central element of the show, it kind of makes sense of having like Anne and Gilbert's romantic relationship. It kind of makes sense then that they would put a more platonic spin on Anne and Diana. But yeah, it kind of. I mean, they still act. They still act very good. Like it's still subtext in the show. But there's a lot of subtext in the show that they've made more obvious. Mm -hmm. um, And that's not one of them that remains subtext. And it's fine. It's Mm -hmm. fine. Yeah. Because we have other queer people. And we have other queer people. And we have um, other adaptations that take it in a very direction yeah exactly this is why adaptation is wonderful (laughs) because you can do anything with it Mm -hmm. that's where every episode so far has turned into me raving about adaptation i mean it's only the study of your phd so like i don't understand why that could be an instrumental part of your life at all yeah no definitely (laughs) not i mean i guess some people some people would probably want to keep life in and work separate, but um, it's my special interest. Okay, it's your guys. special interest. It's the thing that like you've dedicated so much of your. It's not like oh, I have to get a PhD. Like you wanted to do this. Yeah, so, I like, mean, you have to, to in some way, unless you're a scientist and you're just picking a project that's going to be funded. If you're an English student and you're doing a PhD that you're going to have to self fund, um, you have to pick something you're really passionate about. <laughs> Mm -hmm. because there's no other incentive (laughs) 
Are we giving career advice on this podcast now? <laughs> Don't do a PhD. <laughs> I got burned out of school after my undergrad, so I can't even say anything about it. So Yeah, no, I, I watched so many like YouTube videos that were like, why you should or shouldn't do a PhD. And like all of them were like, don't do a PhD. And I was like, oh, you know, it's fine. Everyone seemed to be burned out in my like in undergrad and in my master's. And that was fine. So I'll be fine with the PhD as well. That was a lie. I regret it. Listen See, to the people. But the problem is, if you're telling this to our audience and like anybody is like you, then they're just going to think that they're fine, even though you're saying don't do yeah, this. I know. <laughs> That is the eternal problem. Mm -hmm. You know, make your own decisions, listeners, but hear me out. Don't do a PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. On that note, um, if you don't have anything else to say on the topic, uh, do you have anything that you would like to promo? Um, Go listen to Murray Mysteries. That is a good one. That's going to be the promo for every episode. Speaking of queer adaptations, no, I'm on to Mary Mystery. I mean, if somebody wants to find me, uh, I'm on Tumblr. Um, Keep an eye out for the Western Chorus. That's going to come out eventually, Um, and I'm the lead writer on that, um, and will also be the director once we get around to recording. Um, But that's a nose project, so we'll probably do like a promo at the end of episode once it comes out or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and and... Uh, you'll probably come in and do an episode on, on the Iliad. <laughs> what are you talking about? There's no queer subtext that could be found in, say, Achilles and Patroclus' relationship that I make Definitely canonical. not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Other than that, uh, be kind to one another. Yes. We'll and stay queer. This is me. Music. Yeah. This podcast is a no storytelling production. It is produced and edited by May Tudek and hosted by Drew Frankie Victory and May Tudek. If you want to support us, please recommend us to your friends, follow notes on social media, and consider subscribing to our Patreon. All the links will be in the show notes. Thanks for listening!